Hi again, my dears. I hope you've been blessed by my first podcast about my stories as a Fijian caregiver in America as much as it has blessed me in sharing those stories with you all. Looking back in the last decade of doing this work in America, I believe I've had the wonderful opportunity to share my life with over 30 or between 30 and 40 men and women with all sorts of illnesses and health conditions in private living positions and also through California registered home care agencies. As alluded to in my previous podcast earlier today, there's often a percolation of emotion in all of the work's tones and complexities. Uh, It's soul meeting soul in many situations. The beauty of America shines in the hearts of these ladies and gentlemen. A caregiver is the most important human being at the end of their lives. That's what I've come to learn. This next podcast will share two stories, two wonderful experiences. The first one is going to be about my very first caregiving job in Santa Rosa, where I know I was thrown into the very deep end of the, pro- of the profession. The second one is an equally wonderful story of faith. Here we go. title for this story is All 300 Pounds of Her. Bedbound Sharon always had a full breakfast every morning. There was the link sausages, the poached eggs, lightly toasted English muffins, coffee and fruit. Lunches and dinners were creative combos prepared with love by my supervisor and placed in the freezer so that I can just take them out and warm them up. Sharon and I were in a league together, I felt. We read the newspaper from front to back. Well, I always started from the back. The newspaper, the Press Democrat, is a totally different stage production in Sonoma County, California. Their dailies introduced me to a whole different pitch of journalism in America. It had timber, editorial flair, diversity, and lots of good reading stuff. It arrived with a gentle thud on Sharon's front driveway every morning. I began looking into the heart of America among the pages of the Press Democrat, the soul, the spirit, and the ambience of Northern California. Sharon and and I discussed every story, every feature, some of the cartoons, and laughed at many. I realized 
I was in Peanuts County. I chalked up my first weekend job in Santa Rosa at the end of April 2011. 2010, I'm sorry. Sharon's emotional scars, which I won't um, detail, had ravaged her brilliant mind and it made her eat non-stop for many years. So she weighed over 350 pounds. It would be part of the many stories I have encountered in caregiving in America. I guess I got thrown into the deep end of the lake when my first shot at caregiving occurred. But uh, unfortunately for me, my supervisor was, was a friend. Not unfortunately, but fortunately for me, my supervisor was a friend, Lomata Barrea, a former teacher and an old girl of the boarding school I attended just outside the capital city, Suba, in Fiji, took me through the challenging yet inspiring journey of caregiving in America, and I will be forever grateful to her. I thank her for her forthright comments, her sentiments, and her brilliant ideas when it comes to things that matter. It was uh, April 2010. At least six or seven weeks had passed since my decision to stay in America. Uh, Sharon's uh, mobile park home in quiet suburban Santa Rosa created an undisturbed setting for great reflections. You see, I had decided to stay and there were moments that I was feeling homesick, but mainly because I was missing my two boys. She had a cat. The cat often sat with her eyes closed on a window behind Sharon's bed. And part of my duties was to feed her. I'd never seen such a fat cat like her. With an estimated weight of around 350 pounds, Sharon's life had been afflicted with emotional scars. She spent most of her days on her back on the bed. Her computer, sat firmly on a portable desk over the bed, could be swung back and forth when she worked on stuff. Her bedroom often seemed sad to me. It had a bit of a somber um, feel about it. The curtains were always drawn and the daily routine the same, A, B, C, D, back to A, then all the way to D and back. But I thank the mysterious guy who called her every other day to brighten up her life, because after their long conversations, she often gurgled with happiness the whole day. So there was a lover who was calling her on her phone to cheer her up. Sharon wrote well. I recognize that. She applied her days to designing a newsletter that had colorful stories and pictures, fine prose, and lots of humbling literature. One beautiful California morning, the 63-year-old asked if I wanted to be part of her newsletter community. I had just dragged the trash bin out to the road and was now sharing a cup of luscious California oranges with her. I informed her I was a writer back home and would certainly appreciate it. 
like her many subscribers, I received mine on email every fortnight. She designed a newsletter that contained all the fun things a bedridden 350-pound girl like Sharon could get her hands on. Sharon had organized her life and home to serve her debilitating physical circumstances and she knew where everything was in and around the house. If I didn't follow specific instructions on where something she urgently needed was, we would both laugh loud at my absurdity. It was a learning experience. And because I worked weekends, Sharon utilized the time to share many personal stories with me. As we enjoyed our meals in her bedroom, I recognized a pressing truth about caregiving. Interaction is healing. I did a lot of it with Sharon. I was new to the work and it seemed to me like fun but with enormous challenges. It's a it's a, a good to be a refreshing buffer or a refreshing buffer board during humbling story sessions with Sharon. It is a definite part of caregiving. In return, they became my own tuning mechanism in later years. Sharon appreciated the prayers I asked her to say before our meals. We ate together in her room where she did everything. I was advised against it, but I did it anyway because Sharon became a friend. And that meant that there would be no same old in our collective yarns. That became, I fully believe, one of the platforms on which I would alight on each time I reminded, or I was reminded of my responsibilities, both as a Christian or Christian caregiver in the home health care industry in California. Our unpretentious storytelling days helped heal us both. We were both the world's best friends and loved what surrounded us in all our vulnerabilities. Sharon listened keenly to my stories and I listened to hers. Thank you for praying, Va was all she could offer during our silent meals in her bedroom. You're welcome, Sherry, I would reply. God will take care of us. I know God's love was in our midst every weekend. I was part of her life until July that year when I was offered my first living assignment just outside Montgomery Village, a large shopping precinct nearby. I remember thinking of Sharon every day but now I was ready to pick up strangers as I faced my own version of life's jeopardies in America. When the newsletters stopped coming in my emails three years later, I feared for Sharon's eternity, but I was often comforted with the fact that we prayed and laughed a lot. I see her today, all 300 pounds of her, as the board I secured to institute my caregiving orbits in America.
The second story is called Letters to God. One thing distressed me about Sten. He was a hard-boiled atheist. As our friendship grew into a minor father-daughter setting during his care, say, uh, Stan pardon me, teased me about my faith some days. He did not hide his skepticisms, whether uh, I was a Christian or whenever I shared my testimonies or talked to him about the life-changing love of Jesus Christ. One day, he pressed his pillow against his ears and closed his eyes to show his objection. I playfully just slapped his wrist and went into the kitchen to make him a banana milkshake. Our daily exchanges were often full of kindness. We each had our perception of faith within the margins of life. I felt a deep sense of ire in him as his lingering lung and brain cancer wore him out. He ran San Francisco marathons all of his adult life and hiked the steep hills beside uh, the beautiful California coast in Pacifica and Half Moon Bay. His physical disabilities no longer allowed for movement and his emotional well-being were affected in many ways. It was difficult to talk to him for many days, but I often tried to stand by him in all that by keeping him comfortable, keeping him clean, keeping him safe, and ensure that he enjoyed the dignity of uh, who Stan was, is, and will be in his own home. His dignity to live his last days within the comfort of his home mattered to me a lot. And I was determined to tell him that God existed and he had hope that we did not form from little sea creatures. My agency had sent me a few text messages one cold March morning in 2016 to let me know of several assignments in a few cities up and down the peninsula, you know, from uh, Sacramento, pardon me, from San Francisco, along 280, along 101, all the way down to um, San Mateo County, and Santa Clara County. And I had choices. Somehow, the Pacifica job kept jumping at me, it kept jumping at me, it kept jumping at me. I looked through the other assignments and they looked good. The pay was good, but Pacifica still stood out somehow. I told my employers I would go to Stan. Now, Stan and Rosemary lived in a cozy four-bedroom and two-baths house in Pacifica. Rosie recounts to this day how she saw a bespectacled Fijian woman, a short one. She opened the door the Saturday morning I was assigned at Stan's. Hi, my name is Vasiti. You can call me Va, VA, Veterans Administration. I had piped. I'm here to look after Stan for the weekend. I'm assigned here. I had replaced a young Tongan caregiver who'd been there for four days. Rosie and I laughed as I stepped inside. I always use that VA intro to break the ice because 
America is a military might. VA is an, is an important acronym for veterans. And uh, I got to go into some fun ideas. So I utilized it to make introductions fun. So started my job as Stan's caregiver. One morning after cleaning him up, after breakfast, we began a conversation about God. Straight up. Well, he turned around, gave me a hard look and said, you can believe what you like. There's no God up there. We all came from the sea. I kept quiet because I felt, okay, I have a job to do. Rosie's wife informed me that they had had a back and forth, back and forth on the topic for many years. Well, just try, my dear. Maybe you can change him. She told me one cool May afternoon. Ah, we both just smiled. Maybe you can change his thinking. Rosie is Italian, so she is Catholic and she believes in prayers. Oh, after that, I told myself, Oh, I'll have to really pray about Stan. It would definitely take a miracle. I began praying about this miracle by writing to God in my diary. The letters to God were very personal. They were daughter to dad letters. And they began on Monday, 16th May, 2016, two days after I started. I began writing to God about Stan. My first entry was on the afternoon of Monday. It went like this. Dear Lord, I've got to share the gospel of grace, love and peace with Stan. He doesn't believe in you, Lord. He waves me away when I begin to talk to him about his eternity, Lord. You hold the key to our final destination in this life, Father. Help create for me a space so that I can share your never-ending love with Stan. Lord, you have a special reason for bringing me here to work, to work here. Help me to help Stan, Lord. And I ended with, thank you, Father, for who you are in my life. Thank you. I signed the letter as Vasiti, your daughter, O Most High. On the side, I read about everything I could on agnostics, atheists, or those who didn't have any belief in a God at all. I established that their hearts reject the existence of God, the Creator, or any God, small g. Many of them believe that they are also being rejected. I didn't know which category Stan fell under, but I was resolute in my thinking that he needed a lot of help. And because atheism proposed to him that there was no God, he rejected my Bible stories. But I began devising my own personal strategies because deep down in my heart, Stan, I realized, had the temperament to accept Christ as his personal savior when the time was favorable. He was a wonderful man and I often sensed he had a very kind heart. And like we often say as believers, in God's timing, in God's timing, things will happen. 
I often looked into his eyes every day and told God about Stan's need for peace. He was an angry man. The Holy Spirit helped me pen those letters to God when I needed his help. For the third morning in a fortnight, round about August, Stan had peed on me. Like all seven episodes that month, it only lasted for a few seconds. Much of his system was shutting down, so peeing and taking pills with applesauce seemed to be the only thing going. Each time I heard the rustle of his diapers as he struggled to tear them away or felt the pee drizzle onto the thick kilt I had over me, I would remain very silent on my makeshift bed. I knew exactly what was happening and I would let I would let him finish his business before I got up. Rosie put a recliner in the room on which I could sleep, but I preferred sleeping on two thick blankets spread on the floor right beside Stan's bed. I wanted to be the last one to squeeze his hand at night and be the first one to do the same in the morning. My faith in Stan's salvation was as strong as the mountains of Nananu, my little village in rural Ra province, because I had a job to do as Christ missionary to elderly Americans and those on their way to the grave. Stan needed me and God sent me there. A few hours before I had said my constitutional, good morning Stan, from the floor and held out my right hand to feel for his left hand. I found it, I squeezed it, and he squeezed right back. My morning has started. You know I'm down here, I quietly reminded him. I know you are, he answered, his voice quivering with exhaustion. Okay, you peed on me again, you know? I'm sorry, V. That's what he called me. He said it was not the end of the world. I often say it. I whispered the name of Jesus, said a short prayer, pulled my covers aside and gathered them for the washing machine. I came back from the laundry, cleaned him up, changed his linen and set him up on his bed. Stan's comfort was important every day and I silently made a covenant with God that his eternity depended on me. I wrote the covenant in my diary. Prayers were offered in the room and in the diary. I ensured he had a good night's sleep and a good breakfast. Although the meal was becoming quite a struggle, but breakfast became an opportunity to talk to him about God. The conversation was often the same after peeing, with almost the same words. The spells often occurred around 5.30 in the morning, at least twice or thrice a week, just as the beauty of the cool California mornings offered me peace and confidence. For a caregiver like me, Sleeping, reading, or talking to my children via Facebook Messenger or by telephone are quiet moments in the wee hours that often present an opportunity for peaceful reflections or productive pondering. As a caregiver, I get to spend a lot of time with my thoughts very early morning 
as my patience slip away each time i'd hold tightly to my faith in god and the courage to live through the sometimes hellish cycle of caregiving round the clock almost all the time the reality is that the late nights and early morning care routines rarely lead to anything productive nor peaceful it is a 24/7 job but i like my job i still like my job i enjoy the job because it requires a lot of interaction with senior citizens and retirees of america their amazing life stories inspire me and the opportunity to be with them 24/7 inside their homes often present to me two sides one of being a fijian caregiver in america and learning a lot about myself in the process and one of listening to the american story and accepting the inspiration it gives my faith in god directs me to share the gospel of grace and peace to those under my charge in the meantime i realize that americans are not to be coerced especially in california the law is strict on such things but anything concerning eternity and god's kingdom were critical matters to me stan was suffering from severe lung cancer which affected his brains in the process blood clots were forming all over his stomach and legs and i often carefully covered the black and blue welts forming there with a cotton sheet to make him comfortable stan and rose and i learned that the cancer had progressed from his lungs to his brains and it was overwhelming with the help of a team of hospice care personnel we were better able to understand stan's treatment and care options and ways to cope rose and i often sat in the living room after i fed him changed his beddings and made him comfortable reminding each other we were not alone and all we could afford was prayers Stan's situation had declined fast. The effects of his illness were killing him on a day-to-day basis. Sometimes in mood sw- his mood swings affected the way he and I interacted in terms of his care or the way he responded to Rosie. I had the capacity to deal with him on those. Rosie didn't, and her days were often filled with anxiety for his overall comfort and also her sadness that she was losing him. We didn't let a day go by without praying, without sharing our meals in the cozy living room and a tight hug. As the days went by, part of our routine was to share our stories. My duty as Stan's caregiver being a Christian was to hold on to the hope, the strength and the courage to navigate one of the most emotionally and spiritually challenging responsibilities I was facing. Many things resonate with hope. Be lifted up. It was no longer about me. It was about the glory of God. It was a phenomenal thing. Prayer. A high school dropout should just carry on doing what she's supposed to do. When I knocked on their door one weekend in May 2017, introducing myself as rostered by my um, caregiving agency to be Stan's weekend caregiver. It was the result of a choice I unknowingly made 
when the agency sent me a wave of text messages on the many senior citizens needing care that weekend. Like I said before, I chose Stan from a long list. Now I know why. And I repeat, when Rosie opened the door that Friday evening, I introduced myself and she looked intensely at me. She recollects looking at me, hearing me say, Hi, my name is Vasidi. I'm here to be Stan's weekend caregiver. Come on in. It was the start of a delightful relationship that continues to this day. Stan had been shifted to the spare room and given a retractable hospital bed to keep him comfortable and also to keep my back safe because of the pooling. Those who create these beds are geniuses and not to be badged in an annual award ceremony. You just grab hold of the clicker and the bed swings Stan into a sit-up position for his meals and pills. And you lay him down and lay him down again for bath sessions and reposition him to both sides. Something funny I recollect was Stan and I would often fight for the remote control clicker, but he always won in the end. It's like a father-daughter fight. One morning, late June, Stan had oatmeal, a piece of fruit and applesauce for breakfast. For a few days, I'd been sharing the gospel with him. He would look straight at me, close his eyes and pull the pillow on both ends to close his ears. And for that, like I said, I wrote letters to God. One balmy afternoon, I asked Dan if we could switch our music from Radio KOIT to soft gospel from my cell phone. Another day, he offered to get my family over from Fiji to live with him and Rosemary. I laughed it off until Rosie said, you know, I've never heard him say that to anyone else. But that would be impossible, I told him and thanked him for the offer. Martin Luther wrote two short prayers, one for morning when we wake up and one for evening when we are ready to sleep. They are prayers of trust and dependence. The enduring love of Christ in my heart for Stan was a permanent setting in my manifesto for his care as he fought lung and brain cancer towards the end. All I cared for was his soul. Even when seven accidental P episodes in the last month of his life were grounds for personal industrial action. But I would remain as silent as possible on my makeshift bed on the floor beside his retractable hospital bed. His eternity mattered and mattered only. One day I decided to ask him, Okay, Stan, you're on your way out. You know, you say that to a man who doesn't believe there's a God and he gets it. And he says, so? I just want you to know that uh, you're going somewhere like a place that is owned by God, the God that you've rejected. And I told him this illustration. Say you pack up your bag and go out the door and walk up the street. Two houses away, two houses away, you knock on the door and the owner opens it up and asks, okay, who are you? And then you say, I'm Stan, can I come and live with you? What do you expect him or her to do? They'll shut the door in your face. Heaven is like that. You've rejected God and he doesn't know who you are. 
Because when I asked him, well, I guess I'll just slide in there. Where? Where? Where will you slide to? Well, well, you got to know where you're going. That's why the Lord brought me thousands of miles away from Fiji to be with you, to be your caregiver, to give you good news that the Lord Jesus Christ died for you and me and you have the free gift of salvation. And I promised him, if you give your life to the Lord and confess to him that he died for your sins and love him, I will ask the Lord to assign his angels and you will hear the flap of angels' wings in this room as you make the transition and they will carry you away to heaven. Much of his system was shutting down, so pee drizzles and taking pills with applesauce seemed to be the only things going. But I held on tightly to the love of Christ for Stan because I had a job to do to ensure he received Christ before he went. That same love glowed brilliantly in his room the night before he went. And when Stan passed at around 5.53 the next morning, we'd already had a worship moment where soft gospel songs came from my little cell phone and me softly strumming a ukulele. And with so much sadness in my heart, I went on a tearful prayer down on my knees in Stan's room, overwhelmed with gratitude that God was true to his promises. I still have a private video clip of Stan's last hours with me when I kept squeezing his hands to tell him to look to Jesus. I thank God for the opportunity to witness to dear Stan, and I know he took Stan home in the wee hours of that morning.